0: Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM.
1: Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is part 4 in our series on Jerry Taylor, looking at her work as a television producer. And today we are going to be discussing her third television production, Magnum P.I. I'm Mike. I'm John. And Max is back from his away mission, but while he was down there, he picked up a case of Andorian shingles, <laughs> and now he's stuck in sick bay. So Oof. what can you do? Andorian shingles—you don't want to mess around with that. No, no, it's, no. they're scary. So um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully he'll be uh, recovered by next week. So. Yeah. But we'll we'll pick up the slack in his absence. So, Magnum PI. All right, so uh, as I discussed with Tisto last week, uh, Blue Thunder was canceled very, very shortly after it began. It only lasted 11 episodes. With good reason. (laughs) And that left Jerry Taylor without a show. And she didn't have a show for quite a few years. Um, From 1984 until 1987, She didn't do anything in terms of uh, TV or movies until a TV movie which she wrote in 1987 called A Place to Call Home, which I believe was some sort of after-school special thing. Uh, Here's the description uh, as it appears on the IMDb. Sam Gavin decides to relocate his family from Houston, Texas to a sheep station in Australia, to protect his 11 children from the destructive influences of modern American society. Because of business obligations, he fails to join them and more or less abandons his wife, Liz, to the hardships of her new surroundings. Mother and children are determined to make a go for it.
0: (laughs) There's so much wrong with that. There (laughs) really is. Uh, I'm going to send you away to the Australian Outback where you can learn to avoid uh, the... Poor effects of American culture, like fathers abandoning
1: their family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, womp, having womp. not seen it, I take it you haven't seen this, right? No. Okay. Um,
0: and, and the odds are very slim I'm ever going to seek it out. i got to be honest with you.
1: Yeah. So having not seen it, I can't judge. But I think it's safe to say that uh, maybe it had a few problems.
0: It definitely sounds like the concept had a problem from the beginning. (laughs) Let's be fair. Yes.
1: However, um, this did not stop Taylor from uh, getting another job in late 1987. And that was uh, on Magnum P.I., a show which was produced by her former boss, Glenn Larson, who had created Quincy M.E., he was also the creator of Magnum P.I., and um, he, she came on for Season 8, which was the last season of the show. Um, now, what what do you think about Magnum P.I. in general? I take it you saw it back oh, in the yeah. day, or have seen it since. Oh,
0: yeah. Magnum P.I. was it. I remember that show growing up. I I wasn't their target market, but it was on in my house. Uh, my dad loved it. My brother loved it. My mom Loved Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck was quite the heartthrob back in the 80s. He truly was. Yeah. And um, yeah, he, I mean, he was a regular fixture, you know, on our TV set and everything. And uh, it's not like I was putting down the Star Wars toys to watch Magnum P.I. early in the run or anything like that. But you couldn't, you couldn't grow up in the 80s and not be aware of Magnum P.I. and catch a couple of episodes here and there. It was just an impossibility. And Tom Selleck was, I mean, the show is powered by his charm. It really is. And, you know, there are a lot of good aspects to the show, but it it was great. I think it's everything that was good about 80s television is in Magnum B.I.
1: Well, it definitely seems to me to be the most... 1980s series ever produced (laughs) Mm -hmm. i i was not really that familiar with it now of course i was aware of it and um you know growing up in that time period i remember it being on i remember uh my my grandfather watching it on occasion um so i I remember it being on in the background and i had a good idea of of what the show was but i had never actually sat down to watch it myself uh, until now and um to kind of prepare myself for for what Taylor's contribution was, just like with Quincy, I decided to watch the pilot, which was a, a two-part uh, episode. And I was struck by how cliche everything about it was, but in the best possible way, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's like that, that that viral video, which is everywhere right now, Too Many Cooks, and, you know, people always... <sighs> Are keep on talking about how how perfectly that captures that era. This show perfectly captures the era in which it was in. You Mm -hmm. know, I was I was watching it, uh, and and a friend of mine, uh, I was talking to, and I'm like, hey, 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 you got to check this out. And I just showed him the uh, opening title sequence, and it's like. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like everything you would imagine would be in an opening title sequence for this show is in there. I think the shot that really does it for me, the shot that really pulls everything together is when he dunks the basketball. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it's great, you know, and, and all the characters are like the most cliche characters you can imagine and everything like that. But but, but in a, in a perfect way. And it, it seems like it's a very fun show. I didn't think that it was uh high art or anything like that, but I can definitely uh appreciate it for, for what it is. Um in in a similar way to uh Quincy, actually.
0: Yeah. It it embraces what it is. It it is what it is, uh through and through. And it doesn't try to pretend to be anything higher than entertainment.
1: Yeah. So now Taylor came on during season eight, which was the last season. And you said that this was sort of like a, uh, I guess kind of like an enterprise scenario and that the, the writing was on the wall and they knew that this would be the last season.
0: Well, it was, uh, originally the seventh season was supposed to end the series and the, uh, the season finale actually had him apparently walk into heaven, like head into the light sort of situation. And uh, there was a just like a fan backlash. People got really mad about it because they felt they got cheated. And so they brought it back for an eighth season to wrap everything up. So, yes, they knew the writing was on the wall, but at the same time, it was, I think, in a good way because they'd said what they wanted to say. They thought they got it finished. And it, in a sense, the Enterprise reference is right if we had gotten a fifth season of Enterprise. If they had had that horrible series finale and they listened to all the fans say, no, this was awful, and they rolled it back and said, okay, fine, we'll end it for real. Mm -hmm. That's what this eighth season was.
1: Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I I wonder uh, how the creators felt about that. I mean, I guess they were glad to be employed, but at the same time, I can see them kind of being like, well, what, you want me to wrap this up again? I did it once already.
0: <laughs> yeah, but ima- you know what, though? Imagine being the TV producer, you know, uh, being Larson and Belisario was on it with him. And then you have Selleck, who was a producer. And just imagine being so loved as a show that people just don't want to let go of you. They want one more go around. That's, that's got to be pretty good feeling inside. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Seems to happen with all the great detective fiction. Holmes, Magnum. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this show was created by uh, Glenn A. Larson along with Donald P. Belisario, um, for those people who don't know. Um, Larson, as we talked about with Quincy, was the, the creator of Battlestar Galactica and a, a bunch of other things. And Belisario has created a number of things. Um, Quantum Leap is is a big one for me. He worked with Larson on on BSG, the original BSG and he also created JAG and NCIS which is apparently the most popular show on television what i don't understand
0: <laughs> if if the uh if the advertising is to be believed it is in fact the most popular show on television
1: that is so weird because do you know a single person who watches that show Under or over the age of 55? I guess that's the thing, right? (laughs) I mean, like at Thanksgiving dinner, um, I was at the kids' table, and uh, (laughs) the adult table yelled over at one point, and they're like, hey, hey, what are the names of those two guys? Uh, What are they? And and we we figured out that they were talking about Key and Peel, And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. They're really good. What time are they on? And we're like... (laughs) What do you mean? What time? What? Who watches TV on TV? But yeah, so I guess there is kind of a generation gap there, and I imagine the adult table were the ones who are watching NCIS. But
0: it, it's the modern day matlock,
1: <laughs> I guess it is. And yeah. now, see, like I, you know, they keep on. Like I thought it was great when they brought on LL Cool J and uh, and Robin, but you know, now now they've got you know Archer on there. It's yeah. like, I want to see this stuff. What's what's going on? I feel like I'm missing out, but yeah. not enough to actually check it out. <laughs> anyway, so these are two big, you know, heavy hitters, Belisario and, and Larson, uh, who cr- created this show. And um, on the show, basically, Tom Selleck plays a Vietnam vet who's living in Hawaii and is now a private investigator. And he goes around and solves crimes, right? I mean, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, he takes he takes whatever cases he wants to, and uh, goes around and solves them.
1: Yeah, it's it, it is in a lot of ways similar to Quincy. You know, they're both kind of yeah. investigators solving crimes. Um, they're you know bachelors for the most part, and you know having a good time and and it's all fun and stuff. You know, it's a very sort of like lighthearted show for the most part.
0: Yeah, for the most part. The they, they did have their very special episodes here and there.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that and then yeah. just a little bit. Um, but from from what I watched and just sort of being semi confused by some of the stuff that's going on, it does seem like it's a bit more continuity driven than Quincy.
0: Oh, but it surely is. Yeah, yeah,
1: that could be kind of related to the time period too, and these things starting to happen in the world of television.
0: Yeah, it was still episodic; like it, it wasn't. It definitely hadn't crossed that bridge yet of, like, the Twin Peaks uh, Rubicon of you had to catch every single episode. Like, you could skip Magnum PI for a couple of weeks and come back in, and it was fine. Right. But it did have that overarching Vietnam tie-in uh, with him and his friends and Higgins and, uh, you know, there, there were certain key elements that did tie together every single episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Taylor came on in season eight, and uh, she was a producer on the show, and she also wrote three episodes. The first of which was The Love That Lies, which is an episode about um, Eileen Brennan from Mm -hmm. Clue and other things, um, hires Magnum to find her long-lost daughter Who she actually knows is an acquaintance of Magnum's. I don't know if it's, is it his love interest or just a, she's like a, a a DA or something like that?
0: Yeah. I I don't think it's a love interest uh, per se. I mean, mean, you know, he was, he was quite the roguish uh, sort, but sort of like the Captain Kirk of Hawaii. (laughs) Right. But not love interest as I would define it in that he was Mm. in love with her or anything.
1: Okay, yeah. I mean, it looked like she was on a number of episodes, but I wasn't really sure in in what context. But uh, it's a very sort of uh, touchy-feely episode. It Mm -hmm. felt very out of place in what I expected to uh, find in this show. It wasn't like a swashbuckling thing going on. The most action-adventure there was was a random guy who kept on creepily following her. And, you know, once they finally track him down, they find out that it, this guy was, like, hired by the woman's mom, uh, adopted mom, I guess, to keep her away from the um, biological mom or something mm-hmm. like that. It was, it was like you could tell that they just kind of, like, shoehorned this thing in there because they're like, well, this is Magnum P.I. We do yeah. need to have... At least a couple of people running around and, you know, throwing a punch or two, you know.
0: Right, yeah, right. Yeah. We need <laughs> some sort of peril. What peril it, can we bring into things?
1: Yeah. But, but on the whole, uh, this episode felt, uh, a lot like, uh, some of the stuff that Taylor had written for Quincy. Uh, it was very much about, um, sort of interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. and uh, it was very female oriented uh, you know Magnum was almost a secondary character in the episode he was just sort of like yeah. the uh, the guy who got everyone into place so that they could play out their personal drama but for the most part he was an observer
0: yeah he's almost a chorus uh, sort of position uh, you know just going through and putting people together but then at the end delivering the message of the episode bringing mm-hmm. the people together um it's almost shakespearean in the sense that he, he really does you know you here and you here talk to each other and here's the resolution and this is what it means and let's all go have a laugh and the episode is over
1: right right yeah and i mean i, I thought it was decent um you know as far as Melodrama is concerned. It wasn't bad. It's a bit cliche with the whole, you know, this woman doesn't realize that her mom's not her a biological mom, and now there's another woman, and what does that mean? And what does that mean for her dad? And the whole thing with the dad cheating on the mom and the, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, it was no, fine.
0: <laughs> I, I I think you hit it right. It's it's touchy feely. It's not the best episode of Magnum that was ever created no. uh, by but a but it wasn't shot. bad. It wasn't bad. That was all right.
1: Yeah. Now, Taylor's next episode is considered to be one of the best of the show, and that's Unfinished Business. Um, you want to just give sort of like a synopsis of what this thing's about? Yeah.
0: Uh, in a nutshell, uh, Magnum, being the Vietnam vet, there is a uh, Vietnamese... Nemesis of his, uh last name of Key, who is going to be brought to trial, all of a sudden the case gets dismissed, it's suspicious circumstances, Magnum gets to the bottom of it and he finds out that this guy has been pulled uh in order to uh be arranged for a prisoner exchange because the US government believes that the that if they get one prisoner back from, one POW back from Vietnam, they can find out about how many more there are. And so Magnum is put in the position of, does he shelve his pain and his need for justice for the greater good? And, of course, this is, they raise the stakes because, spoiler alert, he sees video of his estranged wife and daughter killed. The video is sent to him by the nemesis. And so he goes all Rambo about it and he's going to assassinate the guy and he's in position and he has to make that decision at the end. Is my pain greater than anything else or do I swallow this and let the greater good carry through?
1: Yeah. It was very strange in terms of just the small sample that that I uh, watched for the series because it seemed like it was really serious. It's like, this is the episode where, you know, shit gets real. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it it was still well done, you know? I mean, for a show which sort of built its reputation on being, you know, kind of almost campy fun, you know, here they're like, look, we're going to take this seriously this week. And there were some really good dramatic moments. Like, there's yeah. this one... Sort of like montage of them, I don't know, getting ready, sort of not really gearing up.
0: Yeah, getting ready, collecting the evidence, going through, finding the, you know, the confidential files that talk about what's actually going to happen.
1: Yeah. And it's all done without any uh, dialogue or anything like that. It's just set to music. And it's like, wow, this is really good. It's really good visual storytelling. And also, I don't know what that piece of music is. But yep. it's amazing. Like, I want that <laughs> on my iPod.
0: <laughs> it, I, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, incidental 80s TV music. And that was, that was a really good bit of it. Um, yeah. But I will say Magnum every so often would have that more serious episode. I remember from an earlier season that, and I can't remember the name of the episode right now, but there was one where he was out in the water and they were looking for him, and he, he couldn't stop treading water. He was out in deep water, and the entire episode, he has a flashback, I think, of his childhood, and is up, you learn a lot about Magnum in that episode. So this, wa- this did follow the form of every so often they would throw that more serious episode. It wasn't as contrived as the quote-unquote very special episode that so many other shows would have, especially sitcoms. It it was just a this is a more serious character moment to further this character and let you know something about him.
1: Mm -hmm. And this did have though, uh, and I think this is sort of very Taylor of it. You know, it had uh, a social um, issue driving the story. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of weird. You know, having not really grown up. Well, I mean, I grew up in that time period, literally, but sort of not being aware of, of the, the social climate. But in the 80s, there, there was still like a lot of Vietnam fallout going on. You know? Oh,
0: yeah, there, there were a lot of... I mean, you look at the movies like First Blood and mm-hmm. then Rambo First Blood Part Two. There was a lot of um, revisiting and angst socially about the way that the soldiers were treated when they came back the what they had gone through and the uh, ordeals that they had gone through and the difficulty readjusting and there there was even i believe that magnum pi was highlighted for the fact that the main character and his supporting characters were vietnam vets and they weren't portrayed as unbalanced psychopaths Mm -hmm. they were functional people who still had you know issues from the past and things that they had to deal with but they weren't they weren't Sylvester Stallone crazy yeah you know going around they were they were functional adults finding their way you know through life
1: yeah and and this episode in particular sort of deals with the the idea of um POWs still being out there you know I mean, I guess I kind of learned from this episode what, you know, the situation was at this particular point in time. But, you know, they're saying they very sort of explicitly state kind of like in the suicide episode of of Quincy, yep. you know. Uh, although
0: it, although more subtly because it was in the context of like a, hearing a TV broadcast about what was going on.
1: Yeah, it was definitely handled a lot better in this episode yeah. than it was in that one. 100%. It wasn't just like a lady reading like what would now be a wikipedia page or something like that so Um, so in a sense
0: this could show jerry taylor growing as a writer and realizing how to contextualize the information
1: for sure yeah and you know i mean like they talk about in the episode you know there were officially according to you know whoever there were no pow's out there but there was obviously speculation oh yeah well america's part that there uh, there uh, was
0: well, this was this was true that the Vietnamese government insisted there were no POWs left and there were no remains even to return. And what they say in the episode is but this doesn't take into account territories like Laos that are being run by Hanoi. Right. So it it was always regarded as one of those literal truths that didn't tell you the you know the the, the essence of the truth, which is no, there's nobody in Vietnam and so people would frequently latch onto that and say they're being very specific about what they're saying. They're hiding them in Laos or they're hiding them somewhere else. Right. So technically there are none within the borders of
1: Vietnam, but they are next door. Right. Yeah. And this episode kind of deals with, you know, uh, the idea that like, if they can prove that, that there is, if there's one, then that may prove that there's more and that can open up the door to all this stuff. And, and everything, and they use that that huge issue as sort of like the thing to um, force magnum into this personal conflict yeah which which is really well done um you know if you look at uh, sort of the ratings on um i m d b the user ratings, and then also uh, i've read a few sort of fan pages where they rank episodes and stuff like unfinished business pretty consistently falls in the top five episodes of of the series sure it Uh, sticks with you yeah yeah it's not bad however there is that sort of thing that happens with television it happens with the original series it happens with next generation and it's happening here with magnum pi where after magnum finds out that his estranged wife and daughter have been blown up and he almost like uh Cause it creates a, possibly an international incident yeah, in we'll order to seek revenge. We'll. Yeah, <laughs> We then follow this up the very next week with the Great Hawaiian Adventure Company. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> in which Magnum's main goal in life and uh, the driving force behind everything that he does is to start his own, I guess, private investigator fantasy camp?
0: Yes. A, a fantasy camp is a good way to put it. Yeah, that's right. Imagine you're out in Minnesota and it's five (laughs) degrees, wind chill twenty degrees below zero. Yes.
1: Yeah. This almost seemed like sort of the data's day of Magnum. There was no (laughs) real conflict. I mean, it was almost like the B story was the conflict. I mean, yeah. Well, the B story.
0: Yeah, you're right. The B story was the conflict Uh, with uh, with TC's son
1: right yeah yeah i mean the 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 main the main thrust of the story I guess is is Magnum going around trying to start his his private investigator fantasy camp, and he's trying to get everyone to come in on 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 him on this idea, and basically everyone is just like, This is a terrible idea, I don't care about this, you know, but then the other thing which is going on the the drama in the episode comes from uh t c s son joining a biker gang or getting <laughs> caught up with a biker gang and he's he's trying to join
0: uh the most saccharine biker gang in the history of television.
1: It, led like... by led by uh the guy who plays Fabrizi in Titanic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is yes. pretty great, I guess. Yeah, Danny it Gucci. is great.
0: In every in every which way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and this is uh I think also sort of very Taylorish and, and Quincyish in that it's kind of like dealing with, you know, the youth of America and the problems associated with with that culture and everything and, you know, issues that I mean, knowing that she she, you know, wrote a few after school specials and, and whatnot, it seems really kind of in that vein. You know? Oh yeah.
0: No, it, it definitely does. It I couldn't help because we're watching it in this context, I couldn't help but think of that Quincy episode. Uh, baby rattlesnakes, yeah. It it follows the same sort of sense of this is really a good kid. He just needs to get his feet under him, and he's under a lot of pressure from these, you know, from this gang to do something bad. And you know, is it tough love? Is it good love? Is it, you know, as as Magnum says, TC? Do you just have to put down the book and fly and go with your instincts at some point? And uh, yeah, that's definitely. It definitely has that after-school
1: flavor to it, right? Without a doubt. I, I guess after unfinished business, they they needed an episode where they could kind of decompress, and 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 this is that you know it's it's one of those things where you know kind of like uh, what happened with the love that lies, where that you know because of the nature of the show, because of the formula, it has to end with some sort of conflict. So the big conflict is like the biker gang wants TC's son to steal a car. Yes. So he for some reason takes a
0: boat out. Oh, in... he runs away in the boat. He thinks is that he's going to he get away doing? from the the non-threatening biker gang by going in a boat, <laughs> which of course capsizes.
1: Right. And you know, they they so so Magnum and TC go out in the helicopter to go get him but they can't get too close because the wind is kind of strong and it might crash up against the rocks and then magnum jumps out of the helicopter into the ocean grabs him and drags him to shore or something and And they all live happily ever after
0: he ruins a very nice suit i might add to jump in after the kid which which is which is a darn shame (laughs) a suit he wears without socks i'll point out
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the other thing which I took away from this uh, show is, and I know it's the time period, but man, Magnum wears some really short shorts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, when you got legs that good, you got to show them off.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he can pull it off, then uh, good for mm-hmm. him. You know, I wouldn't be able to do that, but good good for Magnum.
0: Well, the important thing was the high waist on the short shorts. Yeah. Which just made it that much more awkward.
1: Yeah, perhaps the shorts weren't really any shorter than what we wear now. It's just that he had them pulled up to his nipples. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like Catalina Caper. <laughs>
1: yeah. So that that was the end. That was the end of uh, Taylor's involvement as a writer, at least. I mean, she was on staff, so I'm sure that she contributed to everything throughout the series and, and all that, or throughout the season and all that good stuff. But what do you see as Taylor's contribution to the show and also um, what the show sort of allowed Taylor to do um, in terms of her overall career.
0: Well, I think that it shows growth. Like we said, she when she has uh, important social exposition to give, it's no longer somebody just spouting off lines. It's in a context that it sounds right. So that shows a bit of growth just in that that little way, but then I think that, she really has a feather in her cap for the fact that she wrote Unfinished Business. I think that that's, you know, like I don't know how TV writers go about putting together their resumes or something, whether they put up, like, the episodes they like best up at the top, but I guarantee you this one is still up there in her, her list of best accomplishments. You know, other than that, I mean, you can see some refinement in character interactions as compared to Quincy. They feel a little more natural, uh, and it's not just the actors, but it is truly the dialogue flows better um, in these episodes than it does in some of her Quincy moments. So, you know, I, I definitely think it shows growth on her part.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with you that, you know, formally and everything, it definitely does show growth. And I think that um, what you were saying about her sort of refining her... Uh, um social commentary uh, into something much more natural will um, continue when she gets to Star Trek, you know, Mm -hmm. which is sort of like essential to Star Trek, you know, because there you can't just say, did you know how many people do this on a daily basis in this thing? Because that's, it's, you're in the future, you know, you got to, use um, you know, allegory and, and whatnot. Uh so this is I think is kind of an important uh stepping stone uh on her way to Star Trek. But but I do think that it's interesting how she can kind of bring her own personal interests and, and, and voice to shows which seem like they have absolutely no place for that voice, you know, if you would have told right. me that there was an episode of Magnum p i which dealt with you know um a woman who's upset about having to give up her her daughter thirty years in the past or whatever, I'd be like, "What? Yeah, what right. are you talking about?" But she actually makes it work in in a sense. It may not work tremendously well, but it does work about as well as it could in this context. Sure. You know, and, and also, um, you know, like, like we're saying, you know, dealing with social issues and, you know, issues of America's youth and, and everything like that. Uh, that's, it's, it's interesting to see how this sort of, uh, uh continues throughout her yeah. career.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, any final thoughts on Magnum PI on the whole or, or Taylor's contribution to it?
0: Magnum P.I., man, come on. It's one of the best TV theme songs in history. Yes. And if you haven't, I, I implore anybody listening to this that hasn't watched it, it's on Netflix, man. Go. Check it out. Like, especially if you're too young to really remember it or you, you know, you're, you're younger and you haven't, you didn't really experience the 80s firsthand like some of us did. Trust me go in and steep in Magnum PI for a couple of seasons and you will totally get where you'll see things like Betamax tapes.
1: Oh Yeah. You know, yeah.
0: That's, that's a brilliant thing, man. I miss them. <laughs> I still miss them.
1: I was always a laser disc guy myself, but you know, what can you do? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> still am actually, I don't know what I'm saying. Always was. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, it is kind of like a, a touchstone for pop culture And uh, if you do watch it, it's one of those things where you will, even even if it's just for you to get, like, a ton of references and jokes from stuff which are being made today, you know, you kind of need that there in order to understand what people are talking about, in a sense. So definitely check it out. It's totally watchable. I'm not going to say that it's, you know, excellent television or anything like that. It is, though. (laughs) it's totally watchable though. It's, it's very entertaining. Um, I want to check out some more of it myself. And while you watch
0: it, remember to think to yourself, this was the man that was supposed to be Indiana Jones. Everybody tells that story. Everybody loves that story, but you can see why Spielberg wanted him at first. That twinkle in his eye, the easy delivery of comedic lines there are definitely aspects where you could be like, I could see this work as Indiana Jones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for those people who don't know, you know, Spielberg had cast him as Tom, as, as Indiana Jones. And the problem was that he had done the pilot for this show and, um, he was under contract with them if it got picked up, but word on the street was that the show wasn't going to get picked up. But when the network found out that Selleck was Spielberg's choice for his new George Lucas movie, right. they were like, "Oh, we have the next big star. I guess we should put this on TV." And then he lost the job. That's and what
0: ironically, the... production was delayed later by a writer's strike, so he could have had the time in his schedule to be in the movie. Oh. But because of everything all convoluted, and you know, the, and TV wanted, you know, they them wanting him on TV and getting him you know, up there and everything. It was just a perfect storm. But I think that in the long run, it gave us this
1: show totally mm-hmm. worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah. And, and there is, I was kind of disappointed because the very next episode after uh, the Great Hawaiian Adventure Company mm-hmm. is the episode which I've always heard about where they do basically an, an Indiana Jones parody so that you can see what he would have looked like in the hat and the, and the jacket yep. and all that stuff. and Legend um, of the
0: I, Lost Art.
1: Yes. Yep. I have to go back and, and watch that episode because it looks pretty cool. It is. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, um just wanted to note two things that happened this week. Uh, one bad and one good. I guess we'll start with the bad. Um, Bob Baker passed away. Uh, he was a puppeteer who had worked in TV and movies and uh, on the stage. He was a Los Angeles legend, apparently. Um, As someone who didn't grow up in L.A., I'm not really too familiar with most of his stuff. However, one thing that he did do was bring Beauregard, the plant, to life in the very first episode of Star Trek ever to air, The Man Trap. So... There's that. He was also he worked on the Muppet movie. He was a, a puppeteer for them, and he also uh, um, worked with some aliens in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So he will be missed. Also, on the on the bright side of things, uh, the Producers Guild uh, announced their television award nominations uh, this week, and. Cosmos was nominated for Best Non-Fiction Series. Uh, Cosmos was, of course, produced by Brandon Braga and Seth McFarlane. He's a, a, a Star Trek creator as well. Yep. And it's I think very deserving of that nomination, especially when you consider some of the shows which it's up against. Yeah, so a good, it, it was
0: a good show. It, really it is. Was. It's
1: a really good show. And I mean... You look at, like, the stuff that, you know, Braga was doing on that from a, uh, a a directing point of view, even. I'm just, like, I'm amazed. Like, that first episode is just, like, insanely well directed. And yeah. for someone who had never done it before, that's crazy, you know? Yeah, he obviously so,
0: paid attention.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, congratulations to, to Brandon Braga and uh, Cosmos. Well-earned. Well-deserved. Very very much so. Well, it's been fun talking about Magnum PI today, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week, so here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. But instead of it being a human being prejudiced against Vulcans because the Romans look like Vulcans... The Vulcans are taking advantage of themselves looking like Romulans in order to be racist against Romulans. Earl Grey. So, do, so he's got the two armrests, and the right one
0: says little, you know, Ensign, you know, Lamont, and a little arrow. <laughs> and then the one on the, on the left says Lieutenant Commander Data. a <laughs> little arrow. Yeah.
1: The orb. But when they pull away from that window with Jake and Kira and they pull away from the station, it's like they're closing the book. They're, they're actually closing the back cover of the book, and it's the end of the story.
0: To the journey! How do you feel, Char, about the Borg Queen? Oh boy. I think the longer that I have watched Star Trek, the more I'm in the camp of... I don't know if I like her.
1: The ready room. They want you to come across on Archer's side where he can be mad at Trip. But I have a really hard time being... Archer being mad at Trip because... Just think of if we still treated, you know, people of a different race like this. Mission Log,
0: a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. That can honestly be the reason they brought Wesley, because Wesley's got nothing else going for him there. I mean, yes, he can lead those kids, but that's just going to be by virtue of his age. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, he's 15 years old. Of course, all the other kids are going to look up to him, at least for a while. Then if he ends up being a total tool, then they won't.
1: Commentary Trek stars.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, Learning Curve we was never meant to be a season one finale. They were going to do the 37s, and then UPN wanted to open season two with it, and that totally didn't work either.
1: Man, you got you to gotta say UPN really ooped it up. Literary Treks.
0: What Jerry Taylor talks about with Catherine Janeway's life is it's kind of a series of her relationships.
1: I mean, she should be doing all sorts of fantastic things, right? And instead, we're learning about her boyfriends.
0: Melodic Treks.
1: But there's a whole host of, of people that appear in Star Trek. As I said, most of it is classic courses so for Dave Vivaldi, Strauss, Troy Kotsky, um, Harry Kim. The 602 Club. This really does have an impact on I think the entire, you know, comic book world. Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns still have a huge impact in the way that people view Batman today. And that's what else is happening on Trek.FM. Check out these shows to find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's patreo dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all of the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form at trek.fm slash contact. You can also send us a voicemail. Um, just go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at trek.fm or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, where we have the Babel Conference, that's spelled B-A-B-E-L. Just type that into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion on the menu bar. John, where can people find you on the Internet?
0: Well, you can find me scurrying around causing all sorts of problems on Twitter at kesseljunkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E, and uh, you can also find me on a weekly podcast called Words with Nerds, also uh, featured on iTunes and Stitcher and all of those fancy joints.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on here on the network uh, talking to Drew each week about the original series on Standard Orbit. And you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com. Where I do commentary, track stars, off topic with Max and our friend Brandon. And you can find all of us on Twitter at comtrackstars. Or you can email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, track stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. You can even read Star Trek Voyager Caretaker, the the adaptation of Jerry Taylor's pilot for Voyager, which was written by L.A. Graff and narrated by Robert Picardo, as they say on Audible. Here is the novelization of the premiere episode of Star Trek Voyager, the unprecedented fourth television series based on Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. It is the story of the crew of the starship Voyager who are hurled far across the galaxy and must team up with their most dangerous adversaries to return home. Read by Robert Picardo and enhanced with sound effects and an original score. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek stars, and the network. Well... That's about it for Jerry Taylor's work on Magnum P.I. And we will be back next week to discuss Jerry Taylor's fourth television production, In the Heat of the Night.